Good morning, everybody. The need for evidence. Perhaps all of us have some sympathy for Thomas. Having seen his beloved master in agony being tortured to death on the cross, he couldn't believe that Jesus bounced back three days later. Thomas demanded evidence. He needed to touch the scars. Of course, he thought that was impossible. He did not expect to change his mind. So when Jesus appeared again and showed the scars to Thomas and invited him to touch, Thomas found he didn't need to go that far. Seeing was enough. But Jesus knew that there would be crowds of people coming to faith after Thomas who could never see with their eyes, never mind handle his scars. Jesus said, Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. So what provision did he make for us in the 21st century? I think part of the answer is in this first letter from John, which we're going to focus on for the next few weeks of this Easter season. John starts, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked on and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. And then he repeats this in verse three. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. The Gospels all emphasise this. The writers either saw things for themselves or they researched carefully by talking to eyewitnesses who were still alive. Jesus inspired them to do this by the Holy Spirit so that we who live now long after their time can be sure that it all really happened. Secondly, the need for fellowship. John goes on to say why he's writing a letter so that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. The point of it all is fellowship, and fellowship is a thing of great joy. We read Acts 2 repeatedly during Lent, which included these words. They devoted themselves to the Apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. Fellowship was not one of the things we looked at directly during those studies together. Instead of studying it as we met on Zoom or over the telephone or talked to our spouse, we did it. This is not something that happens without effort. It doesn't happen merely by attending church. We have to make connection with other Christians and share our common life and grow in Christ together. For the last year of lockdown and restriction, this has been difficult. But we can connect using letters, emails, phone calls and Zoom meetings for those of us who can. Having a chat is really important, but we need to go further and share our spiritual lives as well. We can pray together on the phone. It does feel a bit strange at first, but it's worth the effort. For some people, the physical isolation has actually brought an increased sense of belonging to the Fellowship of the Good Shepherd. And our fellowship is not just with one another, but with God himself. God is an eternal community of three in one, and he invites us in to join that intimacy. What an amazing privilege we have, adopted as his children, welcomed at his table. It's a joy indeed. But so often our fellowship with God and with each other is spoilt. John goes on to address this. The problem is that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. 
and we're not quite so transparent and straightforward. There's darkness in us which makes us incompatible with the light of God's company. We do not always live blamelessly when we fall short or sin. We tend to hide it and cover up our faults. We can be devious and easily deceived by our own nature. So we hide from God and from each other and our fellowship is spoiled. But there is an answer in verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Confession is the key. If there's a shadow between us and someone else in the church fellowship, we shouldn't ignore it or pretend it doesn't exist or hope that it will be forgotten. We need to own up to each other as well as to God. Then we can enjoy forgiveness. What a precious statement. If you've never memorised any bits of the Bible, then you could start with 1 John 1 9. Put it up somewhere where you'll see it frequently, perhaps on your fridge or the mirror. This is what it means to walk in the light, where there's no darkness, no closed doors, no secrets about our real selves and no pretense. It is difficult to do this in a large group. The bigger the group, the less personal we can be and the easier it is to hide. I can honestly say that belonging to a small group of Christian friends has been the biggest factor in my own growth as a Christian and in keeping me on the straight and narrow. It makes me accountable to have close friends whom I trust. They know me well, they encourage me and challenge me and pray for me as I do for them. I wonder how you see yourself. How would you describe your relationship with God? Some of us think of ourselves as pretty good people, better than most. Some of us see ourselves as doing our best and hoping that God will think we've done enough. And some of us know ourselves to be abject failures and doubt whether we can ever be acceptable to God. But here, John is saying that none of us is good enough as we are. None of us can ever do enough to please God as if there was some kind of pass mark which we must attain. And none of us are so awful that there's no way back. All of us, without exception, are sinful. We need a saviour and Jesus is exactly the saviour we need. All that is needed is for us to confess our sin and God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Faithful to do so? Yes, because he promised forgiveness through Christ, so he's faithful in keeping that promise. He cannot refuse. Just? How can it be just for God to forgive us? It is just because the price has been paid already on the cross. Here is 1 John 2 verses 1 to 2. If anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We sometimes sing, And on the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. And that's the meaning of the words in 2 verse 2, which are translated atoning sacrifice. Older translations used the words propitiation, and that carries the meaning of satisfying the anger of God against our sin. It's another good verse to memorise. 
So we stand before God as forgiven sinners, not just guilty of occasional lapses, but rotten at the core, but yet so, so loved. We've been put in credit with God. There is no bar which we need to reach. There is no pass mark. Instead of a fail, we get 100% and more in the bank. So store up these words in your heart. You're sure to need them soon. Jesus is on your side and pleading your cause.